from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, beginning here actually with verse 16. Jesus is speaking and he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, and he will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world could not accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Anyone who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot. Wouldn't you have loved to have been the other Judas with the 12 disciples? I mean, uh, you know, always clarify uh, who, who, who's speaking here. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this... I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. May God add his blessing to his word. You can be seated. Some of you may remember several years ago, Pastor Francis Chan uh, wrote a book with a rather intriguing title. It was called Forgotten God. And his point was basically that many Christians have really no idea who the Holy Spirit is and what it is exactly the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. And so when it comes to, to Christianity and Christians in general, I think the reality is, is there are almost two different camps. On one side, we've got the, the hyper-charismatics, these are the ones who show up on my TikTok feed, you know, and I'll see them jumping up and down and speaking in tongues and, and, and all these interesting utterances, and they're all excited, and they're slaying people in the spirit. If, if I dropped my Bible on the floor, there would be someone there who would utter under their breath, perhaps, oh, be gone, you spirit of Bible dropping, or whatever, you know, in terms of, of that kind of a deal. These, these people have this idea that it's really not spirit-filled if the preacher isn't yelling, and they're isn't this, this crescendo of music at just the right moment. But of course, on the other side, it seems to me that we might have those Christians that are the doctrinal Christians. They believe in the Holy Spirit. They'll tell you that. But truth is, he's more of a theory than anything else. He's kind of like the plus sign in a math equation. He explains perhaps how things work, but that's about it. Now, some of these Christians can wax elephants about the doctrine of the Spirit, but they know nothing of communion with him. They, they don't relate to him like a person. He's an idea, a, a force, a, a theory. 
And just out of curiosity this morning, how many of you believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in full operation in the church today? All of them. Okay, okay. How many of you believe that certain gifts have ceased? A few. How, how many of you are waiting to hear what the pastor says after the series before you, you know, kind of commit? Yeah, okay, that's fair, that's fair, I agree. Can we agree this morning? Can we agree this morning that we're going to believe what the Word of God teaches? And whatever God's Word leads us to, we're going to come to that understanding and really desire the fullness of God's grace and mercy through His Spirit in our lives. That's my hope over these next few weeks. In Acts chapter 2, you recall the Holy Spirit comes in power upon the church, and he's described as a mighty rushing wind. It's that wind that I hope will blow in our church in a fresh way over this time that we're going to spend studying the person and power of God's Spirit. I'd like to us to think about being on a sailboat. Now, this is the time of year when we can start to think about such things. Being on that sailboat without the motor, and the wind determines where you go and how fast you're going to get there. Let's be the kind of church that is completely dependent on the wind. That That's the picture of what a Christian should become. We move when he moves. We go where he leads us. So this morning, I'd like to do a teaching on who the Holy Spirit is and what exactly the Holy Spirit does. And I'll, I'll just be obviously uh, starting on the surface here, but we'll spend some weeks here talking about it. Next week, specifically, we'll see how Jesus himself was empowered by the Spirit and conducted his ministry through the Spirit. And then, following that, we'll think about the implications of the Holy Spirit working in our lives as individuals as we prepare to celebrate Pentecost in just a few weeks. The reality is we have this treasure. And for many of us, we're unaware of all that God wants to do in us, through us, and for us. And so let's be of the mindset and the heart to ask our Lord to open our eyes to open our hearts, to open our minds to all that he wants us to have and enjoy. For the Holy Spirit is a gift. The Christian life is not about living a busy life, religious life. It's about walking in the fullness of God's Spirit. And that is going to be our invitation as we come together over these next few weeks. In John 14, I believe Jesus talks about the Spirit, his role, and tells us in doing so who he is and what he does. And I want us to begin to look at that together. So, let's begin. Who is he? Well, the Holy Spirit is in fact God. In verse 16, he is described as another advocate. Now, we're going to talk about that word advocate in just a few minutes, but I want you to notice this word, another. There are actually two different words in Greek for the word another. I don't usually get this technical, of course, when I'm preaching, but I think this is important. In the Greek, you have the word alas, which means another of the same kind, 
and you have the word heteros, which means another of a different kind. So Jesus here uses the word alas, which is the as which which is speaking of the spirit. He is another of the same kind. Are you with me? Okay, so the spirit is the same kind as Jesus. So whoever Jesus is, the spirit is that too. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus has said, if you know me, you know the Father. We are one. He is claiming, in fact, that he is the same kind as God the Father. He is claiming deity for himself. Now he turns around and he's talking about the Holy Spirit and he indicates clearly the Holy Spirit is just like me. He is God too. So you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and we know this idea as Christians, we have come to describe this as three in one, one in three, the Godhead, as the Holy Trinity. Now you've heard that word and maybe it confuses you. Now, the reality is, the doctrine of the Trinity is one of the distinctives of our faith, of Christianity. And yes, it can make your head spin. In college, I studied this. I kind of obsessed over it for months, to be honest with you. And, and during that time, you know, I was just thinking about it, studying it, trying to understand it. Then one night, I woke up and I had it completely figured out. I, it, it made perfect sense to me. And, and, and I understood how the Godhead was three distinct persons in one God. But, but wouldn't you know it, I forgot to write it down. I fell asleep, and then the next morning it was all muddy again, you know, that kind of a thing. Our faith teaches us that there is one God who has existed eternally in three persons. Now, that's not three gods, by the way. It's not like it's a little god family. That's polytheism. By the way, that's what the Mormons teach. By the way, it is not one god in three different modes where he keeps kind of changing costumes. You know, we have this idea that he wears one hat as the father, and then he takes that off, and he puts on the hat of God the Son, and then the Holy Spirit, and that kind of thing. That is a heresy known as modalism. The Holy Spirit is not a, just a God force, a God energy, the power of God. That's a heresy called Socinianism. And by the way, there are a lot of liberal Protestants who would believe that today. It's also a heresy. And so where do we land here? Well, notice here how Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. At first blush, there might even appear to be a contradiction. Jesus tells us, or he tells his disciples, I am going to the Father. I'm going away. In verse 17, I'm going away, but the Father is going to send another advocate. And you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, that's interesting. But then in verse 18, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, wait a second. Which is it? He says, I am leaving, but I am coming. It, 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 it's both, in fact. Jesus says, when you get the Holy Spirit, 
you get me. Or look at verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, when you get the Spirit, oh, you also get the Father and the Son. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all three distinct persons. So you can talk about them separately, but they are all God. So that in having one, you have the presence of all three. Now that'll make your head spin. But here's the thing. We believe in the Trinity, not just because we understand it, because quite frankly, you won't and I won't, but because it has been revealed to us. You see, we would love explanation. God just gives us revelation. And, and maybe it should not surprise us that our great glorious God is a little more beyond than beyond our comprehension. Wouldn't it be just like God? And it is by his grace that he's given us a glimpse of himself, something of himself to us. And so I want you to know that as we begin this, that the Holy Spirit is fully God. But let's also talk about what he does. Verse 26 says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, if you take that verse, I want you to notice that there are two different promises, really to two different groups. For the apostles, he gives them a promise of inspiration. He promised to bring to their memories flawlessly all that Jesus had taught and to give them the insight. The, the Bible is, you know, simultaneously the work of man and the work of God. That means that each book that you read reflects the personality of its author, but it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Peter, therefore, sounds like Peter. And Paul, when you come to his book, sounds like Paul. If I had been selected to, to write a Bible book, I think it probably would have been filled with political commentary and Michigan jokes. You know, that was probably what... But, but each book is still the word of God. What I have this morning in my hand, and I hope you have in yours, is a reliable record of Jesus' work because Jesus promised that he would guide the authors of Scripture to, to accurately record what he intended them to record. Think about it. What would it what good would it have done if Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on the cross, rose again, and there was never an accurate recording of those happenings? So, to the disciples, he gives them this promise of inspiration. But I want you to notice there's a second promise here, and I think it's for the church at large. It is a promise of illumination the promise of illumination. I will teach you all things. 
Now notice here, the Holy Spirit is not going to reveal to us new things. You can't come to me this morning and say, hey, uh, this morning the Holy Spirit revealed to me something Jesus said 2,000 years ago and it was never written down. That's not going to happen. But he helps us to understand what is already there, what he has written. He illuminates his word. So from time to time, when I stand at this pulpit, you'll hear me say something like, Lord, may your people hear a better sermon than I'm about to preach. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, I hope and I pray and I believe that the Holy Spirit is here and he's engaging us together as we engage in God's word. As we study God's word, he's working. He's, he's illuminating. He's speaking to your heart and mind and revealing things that maybe I never even touched upon. 1 Corinthians 2.14 talks about how the natural person cannot understand spiritual things because they are only discerned through the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit, in other words, to understand this book, to understand God's truth. And so if, if you've been given spiritual insight, that comes from the Spirit of God. When, when you have that moment, when, when it becomes a real to you, that's the Spirit working in your life. That's why in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, it says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The only way you can be convinced that Jesus is Lord is through God's Spirit softening your heart, working in your life and mind and, and, and illuminating and giving you that light to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Now, this is something else the Spirit does then. In times of deep darkness, some of you may be in that land right now, it's a spirit who may come alongside of us and say, you remember who you are, don't you? Romans 8 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In times of temptation, we have the sword of the spirit. The spirit brings to mind God's word. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, James 4, 7. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 1 Corinthians 10.3 Now, so this is true. The Holy Spirit, when we submit ourselves to him and live in the fullness of him, brings to mind verses. But, but let me tell you, if you've never put those verses in there, he can't do with that. He can't fire bullets that you never loaded into the clip, right? And some of us are, are lacking there. I, I love the story. Dr. Howard Moore, some of you may recall that name. Many of you don't know him, unfortunately, but he was a, he was a man of God. He was an evangelical friends missionary to Taiwan. He and his wife, Evelyn, spent years and years in Taiwan. They founded the Friends Church there and have a marvelous ministry for many, many years. Well, a few months ago, I was given the privilege of speaking at a memorial service for Dr. Moore. And just uh, uh, one of the stories I told was just days before Dr. Moore passed, 
and he was in his late 90s by that point. Before he passed, you know, that thin veil between this world and the next one, the nurse came in and was going to draw some blood. That was standard practice. And so the, the nurse asked Dr. Moore, again, standard practice, uh, may I have your name? And if you knew Dr. Moore, he had a robust, clear voice. And so he replied, Moore, M-O-O-R-E, Moore. Well, she asked, date of birth. He quickly replied, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now again, Howard was in his 90s, hard of hearing. He thought the nurse had asked for his favorite verse, not date of birth. But I love that story because I think it told something about him. In his final days, where was his heart? Where was his mind? Where were his affections? Where was his hope? His date of birth had everything to do with that verse, if you think about it. And the Spirit was there with him, speaking and ministering to him even as he faced his final days. So the Holy Spirit illuminates our minds with scripture teaches us the foundations of the promises of God, reminds us of their truth. Has the Holy Spirit spoken to you, illuminated you lately? Jesus says he is our advocate. Let's talk about that word. The word advocate in verse 16 is the word paraclete. Maybe you've heard that word before. The truth is we don't have a great word in English to translate this. Some translations have it as comforter, but that makes the Holy Spirit sound like a quilt or something. And then sometimes you'll see counselor. I, I kind of struggle with that a bit because I think of a marriage counselor or a camp counselor or something along those lines, and I'm not sure that was the image that Jesus is going for. Paraclete literally means someone who stands beside you and speaks for you. Para means alongside of. Kaleo, clete, means to speak. So he speaks alongside. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. Now, I love that image. Jesus came alongside the disciples and ministered with them for three years you know, when our hearts, and I don't know if you've had this moment, I certainly have, when your heart condemns you, when you feel like you've blown it and, and, and you know nothing of Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit who speaks louder than our doubts and our confusion and reminds us there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He's the one who comes alongside of us and whispers and sometimes shouts that truth. Or those moments when circumstances seem to suggest that God has forgotten you. When it seems dark, when it seems despairing, it's the Spirit who calls out, I will never leave you 
nor forsake you. The Spirit reminds us of God's presence and his love and his mercy and gives us the assurance of forgiveness. He gives us peace. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so the Spirit works and reminds us of the truth of God's promises. But I want you to think there's another dimension of this advocacy too. You know, the, the Bible teaches that, our, that, that he is an advocate to God on our behalf. He stands alongside of us and he calls out to God for us. You'll be reminded that 1 John says that Jesus is our advocate before the Father. He intercedes for us. And I used to think that means that Jesus was up there going, come on, God, give Jeff one more chance, please. It wasn't exactly comforting to think about, you know. I, I thought surely God was going to get rather disgusted and impatient and said, I've had enough. Or maybe Jesus himself would say, hey, I am not going back to the throne of God with that again. It's been yours for 20 years. When are you going to get it right? But listen, Jesus is not in heaven asking God for leniency. He's asking God for justice. Jesus goes to the Father. He goes to the throne and he says, Father, I have paid for all of Jeff's sins. Every one of them. It would be unjust for you to be angry at Jeff for this sin because I've already paid the punishment for it. And I have given Jeff my righteousness. So if you're just, and God, you are just, then I stand before you that you might give him the blessings and rewards that are coming to me. That's what God the Son does for us. The Holy Spirit is another advocate, just like Jesus. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf, demanding that God give us the blessing, the favor, the grace, and the peace that Jesus bought with his blood on Calvary. You're reminded this morning that he even helps us in our prayer. Remember Romans 8, 26? Boy, that was... That was uh, uh, going to get serious here. Remember Romans 8.26? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Anyone weak this morning? For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words when I don't know how to pray he's doing it for me that's how good God is now there's one more thing I want to note and we'll talk about this for some time I'm sure but John in John Jesus says when the advocate comes whom I will send to you from the Father the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father 
he will testify about me. In John 16, 14, he says, Jesus says, he will glorify me. One of the great roles of the Holy Spirit is always to point us to Jesus. Dale Bruner, who's a theologian, says the ministry of the Holy Spirit can be pictured this way. The Spirit withdraws from sight and points to Jesus saying, notice him. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. Fall in love with him. Be preoccupied with him. That's the whole ministry of the Spirit. It's never to draw attention to himself, but to keep drawing people back to Jesus. Bruner says, it's often been said that the Holy Spirit is the Cinderella of the Trinity, the great neglected person of the Godhead. But the Holy Spirit's desire in work is that we would become that we would be overcome again, thrilled again, excited and gripped again by the wonder, the majesty, the relevance of Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not mind being Cinderella outside the ballroom if the prince is honored inside his kingdom. So the Holy Spirit does not point himself or point to himself or glorify himself. He always is shining the spotlight on Jesus. This is where he wants to go. He always wants people looking at Jesus. And by the way, that ought to be a, a, a good help to us because sometimes when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, listen, the gifts of the Spirit will never call attention to themselves. The focus is always going to be on Jesus. When a person, and you'll see this, draw attention to themselves or something else, you can be pretty sure that it's not of the Holy Spirit. Preachers who are filled with the Spirit are the ones who are always talking about Jesus and what he is doing and what he has done through his death and his resurrection. A spirit-filled preacher isn't going to talk about himself. He isn't going to talk about what you are supposed to do and, and, and what you should do and how you should be doing this and doing that because all of that just amounts to a bunch of doo-doo. Spirit-filled preaching will always talk about what Jesus has done, what he has accomplished, just how good he is. Several years ago, I thought through this as an illustration, and I still believe it's, it's a good one. Some of you recall the movie Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Of course, you know the story. There's the witch and the poison apple and Snow White singing, someday my prince will come. And then there's the seven dwarves. And you know, you, you look at that story and you see that the seven dwarves just love Snow White. They risk everything for her. They support her, they feed her, they shelter her, they, they protect her. But then the prince comes along and they kind of get the shaft. But of course, the amazing thing is, as you 
look at that story is they're not upset when the prince comes. They're thrilled. There's a selfless beauty and simplicity in their hearts. The prince gets the bride, and all they do is rejoice. That's the Holy Spirit. He keeps telling the bride, the church, to love the prince, to follow the prince. Someday the prince will come. And my prayer is the Holy Spirit will do his work today. And he will help us to celebrate Jesus. Do you know his work in your life? Do you love Jesus? Are you putting him first? Oh Lord, how we need you and your spirit to work in our church that the bride might be ready for our prince. Will you pray with me? Father, this is not a fairy tale, but I suspect that many fairy tales have been written as a shadow of something beautiful and wonderful to come. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit that even this morning calls us to exalt Jesus. I pray, Lord, therefore, that we would be filled up with the Holy Spirit that we might know all the glory and beauty and love of Jesus Christ. May your church be filled with your Spirit that we, the bride, might be ready to be presented to the Son in beauty and holiness and goodness because you've done your full work in us. And so, Lord, over these next few weeks, as we study the ministry of the Holy Spirit, may we just be faithful to ask, Lord, fill us up with yourself. For, Lord, the truth is we need you. We don't want to do church without you. I bother. But with you, Lord, we find life and hope, renewal, love. May we know your peace today, I pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen.